think that it is uh, much too far and I think she needs to resign. More backlash to NDP MLA Selena Robinson's comments about Palestine. The federal NDP leader now weighing in. Mothers-to-be sounding the alarm. I was surprised when they said it was denied and then also that like they couldn't follow me anymore. Why are women in the late stages of pregnancy being turned away from a Kamloops maternity clinic? It's not uncommon to see moose or deer in somebody's yard, so it's very, very concerning. The message to hunters after a devastating disease is detected in deer for the first time in BC. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. A BC cabinet minister continues to take fire this weekend, including from within her own party. Selena Robinson is under attack for comments she made this week at a forum for Jewish leaders, making unflattering comments about Palestine, for which she has apologized. But as Julia Foy reports, the calls for Robinson's resignation are only growing louder. The people united will never be defeated. The people united will never be defeated. Dozens of people gathered in the shipyards in North Vancouver Saturday to protest the Israeli-Gaza war that continues to drag on for close to 120 days. How difficult has this 120 days been for you? It's been absolutely devastating. I think that, like many people, I'm feeling a lot of grief, a lot of sadness and anger at the inaction by our government representatives, by our MPs, um, to take action to end the genocide and achieve a ceasefire now. But there's a new element at the protest, one involving BC Minister of Advanced Education, Selena Robinson who shared a comment during a Zoom event hosted by Benai Brith on January 30th, referring to young people not knowing enough about the history of Israel. They don't understand that it was a crappy piece of land with nothing on it. it you know, there were you know several hundred thousand people, but other than that, it didn't produce an economy. It didn't have, it couldn't grow things. After this comment was posted on X, formerly Twitter, there was immediate pushback online. Robinson did post an apology saying, I want to apologize for my disrespectful comment referring to the origins of Israel on a crappy piece of land. I was referring to the fact that the land has limited natural resources. And she's got some work to do to go out to the community to address the harm uh, that her comments have caused at a very, uh, and, and in particular in a very vulnerable community right now that's incredibly raw uh, given uh, the war in Gaza right now. On Saturday morning, Robinson took friendly fire from federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. The statement reads, the comments made by Minister Selena Robinson are deeply hurtful to many Canadians impacted by the war in Gaza, particularly Palestinian Canadians. These comments are not only factually wrong, but offensive and irresponsible. Global News did reach out to Selena Robinson for comments Saturday, but we've had no response. When there is a mutual recognition, a mutual... Some protesters are asking for her to step down. When you make a statement like this that hurts the feeling of hundreds of thousands of people and millions around the world, you have to take responsibility for it. Julia Foy, Global News. A man has been charged in connection with a random attack on two women, including a B.C. Crown prosecutor. 27-year-old Kenyan Thomas Lavallee is facing two counts of assault after two attacks just minutes apart around 9 Friday morning near the provincial courthouse at East Cordova and Main Street. The Crown prosecutor was punched in the face as she was being escorted to the courthouse 
by an unarmed security guard. The man was arrested a short distance away after he allegedly assaulted another woman. Police in Abbotsford are investigating a fatal crash early this afternoon. The front ends of both cars were destroyed, with the red SUV suffering most of the damage, much of it on the driver's side. Police say a pickup truck and the SUV crashed in the 31,000 block of Old Yale Road just before 1 o'clock. First responders found one of the drivers, an 84-year-old man with serious injuries. They started treating him right away, but he died at the scene. Police have detained the other driver. Road closures are in effect and are expected to last into the evening. Police in Surrey are investigating a serious crash on Golden Ears Way at 180th Street. A Volkswagen Jetta crashed through the guardrail and into a wall early this morning. Part of the guardrail pierced the windshield. BC Emergency Health Services confirms one person was cared for by paramedics at the scene. People in New Westminster going to the polls today to elect a new school board trustee. The by-election was triggered when former community first trustee D. Beattie resigned last September after she admitted operating a fake Twitter account to attack parents, teachers and political opponents on social media. The polls are set to close at 8 this evening. Results will be tabulated electronically within minutes after polls close. The city of Burnaby is calling for an independent investigation into a refinery discharge that fouled the region's air two weeks ago. The Parkland refinery released unburned sulfur dioxide into the air on January 21st after a fluid catalytic cracker unit malfunctioned. The incident sparked a massive response with people across the lower mainland told to shut their windows because of the smell. Now Burnaby Council is asking the BC Energy Regulator for an independent investigation. It has also asked staff to see if the city can recover the cost of the fire department deployment, estimated at $30,000. Deer hunters in B.C. are being warned after a devastating disease was found for the first time in the province. Two deer were found with chronic wasting disease in the Kootenays. It's a deadly disease with no known cure that has already affected herds in Alberta, Montana and Idaho. Paul Johnson has the story. A new warning for hunters or anyone who might come into contact with deer in B.C. Chronic wasting disease has now been confirmed in the province. Steve Hamilton is with the B.C. Wildlife Federation. They lose their fear of humans. If you see something like that, especially in these high-risk areas like up in the northeastern part of B.C. or the southeastern part of B.C. along the border there, please report it to the conservation officers. Other symptoms are weight loss, drooling and stumbling. The disease has been spreading in Western Canada for years, and B.C. recently established a surveillance program to watch for it. The two deer were found near Cranbrook. One was a mule deer, and the other was a white-tailed deer. The disease is fatal and incurable, and can also affect moose, caribou, and elk. We expected it to get here to British Columbia, and we kind of knew the path would have been through the south, the southeastern part of the province where it was found. Chronic wasting disease is an infectious neurodegenerative disease caused by tiny misshaped proteins called prions. While there's no evidence that CWD from deer has ever spread to humans, decades ago a similar disease, mad cow disease, triggered the slaughter of millions of cattle in the UK after more than 100 people died from Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, 
a human form of the disease they got from eating infected beef. So given the history of incurable prion diseases showing they can likely jump species, hunters are warned to not eat meat from deer showing symptoms, and the rest of the public are advised to avoid feeding or handling any wild deer. Paul Johnson, Global News. The search for a missing 23-year-old West Kelowna man is underway in the Scott Crescent area. He was last seen four days ago, and since then, there hasn't been a single lead. As Victoria Famia reports, the family is now making a public appeal for help. After finishing up a dinner at home with his family the evening of January 31st, 23-year-old Lucas Singer Krause disappeared without a trace. Uh, we just know he did the dishes a bit Probably later. About 11, I think, because that's what Noah said. Yes, and uh, that's the last time uh, anybody's uh, seen him. According to his parents, Singer Krause didn't give them any indication that he was leaving, which they say is out of character. He's never done anything like that before. He would always no. tell us where he would go. Highly conscientious of um, other people's uh, time and space, so he always lets us know what's up. Following an initial RCMP investigation into Singer Krause's whereabouts, Central Okanagan Search and Rescue was called in. So last night, the RCMP gave us a call to assist in looking for Lucas. So we were out approximately 5 p.m. and uh, last night was more or less checking the beginning of yards and knocking on people's doors, seeing if they have uh, door cameras or anything that could assist us in locating him. Those efforts proved unsuccessful as no leads have yet to emerge. Unfortunately, we've been able, unable to attain which direction he left from the house. So we're just basically canvassing the whole area, searching the whole area and hopefully we'll find him that way. Crews have searched a large area around Singer Krause's West Kelowna home in the 1400 block of Scott Crescent, bringing in several resources, including Penticton Search and Rescue. We've had the RCMP drone out uh, twice. Uh, we have our boat on the water, searching the waterfront. Our e-bike teams are searching walkways and paths along uh, Bear Creek Road. Uh, we have additional teams in the campground and walking up uh, Bear Creek Falls. Lucas Singer Krause is described as six foot one, 180 pounds with short auburn hair. He's believed to be wearing a black or red plaid zip-up jacket with sweatpants, black boots and carrying a black puma backpack. He was last seen in the Scott Creek area of West Kelowna. Especially in West Kelowna, check your properties, check your security cameras, yep. anything. Victoria Famia, Global News. Still to come, the B.C. Conservative leader reversing his stance on the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Why John Rustad, who initially voted in favour of UNDRIP, now wants it repealed. And why a businessman in Prince George is making a risky financial move, buying the city's local newspaper. B.C.'s Conservative leader says it's time to repeal the U.N. Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. This is a reversal for John Rostad, who voted in favour of the declaration in 2019 as a B.C. Liberal MLA. UNDRIP, as it's known, requires governments to work in consultation and cooperation with Indigenous peoples. But Rustad says it's clear not all Indigenous lands can be returned and says the question of ownership has to be dealt with. First Nations, I'm, I'm hearing from them all the time. They're frustrated. They would like to be able to um, you know, deal with this title question. It's in the Constitution, right? It needs to be dealt with. And it's kind of the elephant in the room. Unless governments are prepared to address it, then you end up with this stalemate of, of challenges that we have today in terms of how we can actually operate. 
Rustad also says conservatives oppose government changes to the Land Act, giving more say to Indigenous nations. Those changes have raised concerns on the Sunshine Coast from people worried about their water access. Despite the challenges facing local newsrooms across the province, a Prince George businessman is taking a risk on his local paper. Former Prince George City Councillor Cameron Stoles has purchased the Prince George Citizen from Glacier Media. The move comes as local newspapers and communities across the province have closed their doors, including in Dawson Creek, Kamloops and Fort St. John. Stoll says he hopes to protect the citizen from suffering the same fate. It's meant to be giving back to the community, um, sharing something that may not be widely known, but the citizen lost $56,000 last year. Uh, I'm doing this as a supportive venture. Um, I know I'm going to be contributing towards the cost of the operations of the citizen, and that's a financial commitment I'm making long term. He adds that current staff at the Citizen will not lose their jobs and will be able to continue in their current roles. The Council of Forest Industries is holding out hope for BC, despite mill closures devastating communities across the province. And that hope is coming thanks to construction. New rules allow taller buildings to be made of wood, and with BC's population growing by leaps and bounds, demand for housing continues to grow. The Council President says the demand for new builds is what's going to help keep the forestry sector alive in the coming years. Engineered wood products, off-site modular construction, new green building systems, uh, being able to take mass timber up to eight stories or more. The, these are the opportunities that are there. So there's going to be demand. We know there's going to be demand for those kinds of products. We know British Columbia can make those kinds of products. The province also says it's key for the industry to transition to a new sustainable approach. It's the time of year when students are looking for summer jobs and a job fair at Thompson Rivers University this week was unlike any seen in the past quarter century with employers coming from across western Canada to find their next rising star. We get the story from CFJC News. More than 100 booths filled the Campus Activity Centre with employers from companies like Tech Resources, Ask Wellness Thank you so much. and the BC Correctional Service. I'm really impressed with the type of employers we have. They're all amazing. Uh, so it's really nice. I think the students are surprised of the quality of employers we have as well. Employers came from as far away as Ontario for the annual job fair thanks to the reputation of TRU students in the job market. It is a good uh, platform for me to get uh, opportunities and know about better opportunities. So it's an open-ended platform where I can get to know more and more about uh, what jobs I could pursue. So yeah, definitely there are a lot of opportunities. And this is a really good place where you can connect to employers, right? So they kind of help you. They are like, please email us on this day or specifically connect with us on LinkedIn and then we can help you. So it, it's, it's always an add-on, right? It's good to come to job fair than not to. Okay. Coming out of the pandemic, the job market has turned in favor of the job seeker, with businesses from every sector of the economy looking for new workers. It's really a microcosm of what's going on in the industry. There's someone from for everybody here. You know, GRU has hundreds of programs, and there's a job or a, an industry here for every student as well. The fair has a history of success with students reporting a number of job opportunities from last year. So last year's job fair got me two opportunities, but unfortunately for some circumstances I couldn't do it. 
right now I'm hoping the same because I know that this job fair helps a lot of students over here. The 2024 incarnation was the largest for TRU with the 100 plus booths being visited by thousands of students. It's crazy. We have 110 employers this year. We've never had this many. This location is at capacity. We actually had a wait list as well. So it's the top job fair we've had in 25 years. Michael Reeve, CFJC News. Still ahead, the U.S. opens fire in the Middle East. Concerns tensions will rise even further in the region as the U.S. attacks Syria and Iraq, calling it retaliation. And the decades-old documents just declassified, giving a clearer picture of how and why Canada allowed Nazis to settle in the country. Hundreds of people turned out in Alberta's two largest cities to protest a new policy on gender equity. The Alberta government is requiring schools to seek parental consent if their child changes their name and pronouns. It's also banning hormonal treatment, puberty blockers and gender-affirming surgery for children 15 years and younger. Opponents say the new policy will put thousands of children at risk. Fears of an escalating conflict in the Middle East tonight after the U.S. unleashed its firepower, launching a wave of strikes inside Syria and Iraq. Washington calls it retaliation for last Sunday's drone attack that killed three U.S. soldiers. Both Syria and Iraq are condemning the attacks, warning of dire consequences. Late Saturday, the U.S. and the U.K. announced they've conducted airstrikes against Iranian-backed Houthi targets in Yemen. This is in addition to Friday's retaliatory strikes. Images broadcast on Syrian state TV claiming to show the aftermath of those airstrikes across Iraq and Syria. The Defense Department says it hit several sites Friday, including command and control centers, weapon depots and drone storage facilities all of them linked to Iran's Revolutionary Guard and affiliated militia groups. But the U.S. did not hit targets inside Iran. You know, the goal here is to get these uh, attacks to stop. We are not looking for a war with Iran. In a call with reporters, Biden administration officials said the strikes specifically targeted groups that meant to do Americans harm. Since the start of the Israel-Hamas war, U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria have been targeted at least 165 times. This wasn't just a message-sending routine tonight. This was about degrading capability. Iran has also reacted to the strikes, the country's interior minister condemning the attacks, saying it will naturally lead to the flames of the resistance and that the U.S. should act wisely. The response came five days after a drone struck sleeping quarters and an American outpost in Jordan, injuring 40 and killing Army Reservist soldiers Will Rivers, Brianna Moffat, and Kennedy Sanders. President Biden ordered the strikes just hours after he attended the dignified transfer of the remains of those three U.S. soldiers. Cristian Benavides, CBS News. In Gaza, at least 18 people were killed by Israeli bombardments targeting the southern city of Rafah hitting one of Gaza's last remaining safe zones. The city is home to more than a million people who fled attacks in other parts of the Palestinian territory. Located on the border with Egypt, Rafah is one of few cities in southern Gaza that Israeli ground forces have not yet reached. But Israel now says it is expanding military operations around the town.
Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie continued her trip to Ukraine on Saturday, meeting with citizens directly affected by the war in Russia. Jolie spoke with organizations that support victims of gender-based violence and war-related trauma. This comes a day after she paid a surprise visit to Kyiv to discuss a new effort to secure the return of abducted Ukrainian children. It's expected Jolie will return to Canada today. Newly released documents reveal more about Canada's policies around letting Nazis into the country and letting them stay. There's been renewed pressure on the government to release more information in the wake of the scandal over the standing ovation in Parliament last fall for a man who fought in a notorious Nazi unit. Now we know more about former Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau's take. Abigail Beeman reports. Annette Wild Goose holds a luggage tag from her late mother's trip aboard the MS St. Louis, a ship full of Jewish refugees fleeing Germany in 1939, turned away by nations including Canada. There's a stark juxtaposition for her between Canada's attitude towards Jews before and during the Second World War and new information about how our country accepted Nazis after. These individuals eradicated all of my family. So I have no cousins, aunts and uncles. We're at that juxtaposition now where we have to learn from history. The scandal over a former member of the Nazi Waffen-SS receiving a standing ovation in the House of Commons last fall renewed a push by Jewish groups. Just showed uh, an astonishing historical ignorance uh, and, and sort of reinforced the need to get the records out. The now more complete version of the Rodal report details then-Justice Minister Pierre Trudeau's take on a Latvian Canadian known as Subject F, convicted in absentia by the Soviet Union as the captain of a firing squad which murdered 5,128 Jews. In 1967, Trudeau was against stripping Subject F's citizenship, writing, the applicant's obligation is to satisfy the court that he is of good character. He is not required to satisfy the court that he, at no time in his past, committed an appropriate act. There is more information yet to be released, including the names of 240 suspected Nazi war criminals. We cannot learn the mistakes of the past until we see the records of the past, and so this is an effort not just about the past, but it's also an effort about the present. This is uh, both uh, an important part of the historical record, but also uh, one that has uh, implications around privacy, uh, around uh, community cohesion. And this was taken probably... Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. A slow-moving snowstorm is packing a punch in Nova Scotia and it's expected to last all weekend. Residents near downtown Halifax were digging out after a major dumping of snow overnight. Up to 80 centimeters is forecast in eastern parts of the province this weekend. Residents are being asked to stay off the roads due to the threat of blowing snow. In health news, some mothers-to-be in Kamloops are facing waits for care after the retirement of a, of a maternity doctor at Royal Inland Hospital. That means 15 patients a month are on the wait list to see a doctor. We get the story from Delana Nisha at CFJC News. I was just like, I couldn't process it. One of those people includes this soon-to-be parent who did not wish to be identified. Her early pregnancy care provider sent in a referral to the TRFO for later stage appointments, but a text message revealed it was declined for the time being. So I was surprised when they said it was denied and then also that like 
they couldn't follow me anymore. In the meantime, she was assured requisitions for testing appointments would still be sent in and was told to go to labor and delivery if there was an emergency. Are there supposed to be other appointments that I'm supposed to get checked for? Like, I don't know. And I'm assuming they don't want us to use labor and delivery as just like a walk-in and be like, hey, can you take a look? Stressful is how she describes it, being that this is her first pregnancy, and she's hopeful the uncertainty will be resolved soon. It was very reassuring to have somebody there. Because I feel like, okay, things are good. I can hear the baby's heartbeat. I know what's going on. I can ask questions. So where should expectant patients turn to? Interior Health says the Pathways program can connect people with other maternity providers. The First Steps Clinic is another early stage option and the emergency room for urgent needs. Past 20 weeks, pregnant people should go to labor and delivery at the hospital for emergencies. I cannot even imagine, you know, the stress, added stress that's not really needed for a patient or a client that's you know, looking for care and they don't know where to go. So. Dr. Azam is the medical director of maternity care for IH and says they're working with providers to make sure nobody goes without crucial care. We also created certain um, contracts for locums to come in on the short term to bridge the gap. For now, short-term workarounds are what we'll have to do until provider spots are filled and the results of longer-term plans come through. TRFO continues to recruit as well. And we will continue to bring in anybody who is interested in this area of medicine. I honestly see the light at the end of the tunnel. It just, we need to hang on. Delana Nishaw, CFJC News. Still to come, changes to the emergency department at Peace Arch Hospital. Why critics say a new mental health and substance use treatment area doesn't go far enough. A new mental health and substance use treatment area has opened inside Peace Arch Hospital. The new area is located inside the emergency department. It's meant to support people in a low stimulant, quiet and calming environment. Over the past two years, several upgrades were done to Peace Arch Hospital to better support the growing community it serves. This new unit is separate from other emergency department treatment areas and has been designed to meet the needs of people experiencing psychological stress. Frankly, it is too little, too late in this community. Uh, we are vastly underserved in both South Surrey, uh, Surrey as a whole, and in White Rock in terms of mental health services and then places for people to go. Peace Arch Hospital currently has 200 beds offering emergency surgeries and critical care. Well, today we got a bit of a break from all that rain. With more, we're joined by meteorologist Yvonne Schell. Yvonne. Travis, it's dry this evening, but we're seeing some cloud cover rolling in once again. We've got a bit of a lull in the action over the next couple of days and a nice break from the heavy precipitation. But overnight and taking us in towards tomorrow morning, there will be cloud cover along the south coast and areas in towards the interior could be seeing some rain mixed with snow. Some of the lows, though, it'll dip down into the minus double digits. That's across the central interior, areas near Prince George, a touch cooler even along the north coast and areas near the peace included within that. Now, here's what we are seeing, though, and the plan for tomorrow as we get in through the day, we'll see more clear, more of a clearing. A break will be on the way. It will be a dry start for us, but we are going to see some fog patches for a few areas, and those will dissipate quite quickly. But anticipate as we get past through the afternoon or the early morning hours, we are going to see some breaks in there once again. The early morning hours, though, for the interior, for traveling along the mountain passes, we are seeing the potential with up to two centimeters of snow locally. Most areas, though, along the south coast, a nice lull break in the action for Monday. The next weather maker that is moving in will be 
for our Tuesday night. It'll take us uh, in towards our Wednesday and likely heaviest late Tuesday night and then tapering off to a chance of showers for our Wednesday. Our long range forecast. Now temperatures are starting to moderate. We're closer to the average for this time of the year. Six and potentially up to eight degrees, but some of those overnight lows do keep in mind it's cooling off once again. We could get, get even down to two in many areas. We'll see those overnight lows between four and five degrees. Beautiful day in store tomorrow along the north coast. We're climbing up to five. Much of the central interior will see that sunshine in the mix. We'll get into just minus two as a daytime high. Precipitation for the morning hours into the southern interior. It's rain mixed with snow. Higher elevations is where we're seeing that potential with accumulating snowfall locally up to two centimeters. Whistler will see some nice breaks by the afternoon. Three is the high and all areas along the island and the lower mainland will be tracking a mainly cloudy sky. A few fog patches are possible. It'll dissipate and then some breaks in there with some sunshine. Eight and up to nine degrees extending into the Fraser Valley. Monday for back to work in school. It'll be a cooler start for the morning hours. We'll be starting off at three, seven as we get in towards the afternoon. Tuesday, a bright spot through the day. It's as we get in towards the evening that rain will move in. Heavy at times, unsettled Wednesday, Thursday, on and off showers and highs between seven and nine degrees. Travis. All right, thanks, Yvonne. The City of New Westminster is turning to the public for feedback on the Anvil Center's operations as it turns 10 years old this year. The 18,000 square foot conference facility opened in 2014 featuring a theater, multi-purpose studios, meeting rooms and conference halls. The city would like to know what's working and where improvements could be made in terms of programs and services. Online and in-person engagement events are scheduled this month with the first in-person event on February 22nd. An online survey and discussion forum is also available until March 4th. Okay, Barry uh, mm. joins us now. I know there's no football this weekend, so no, really what's... Super Bowl uh, next weekend. What's there's really on? no real sports this weekend. It's the All-Star, <laughs> the NHL All-Star game, which I guess is sort of fun. They're not my thing. The greatest, I say it every year, the best thing about All-Star game is when, when it's over. <laughs> and it's over now. It's over. Especially when the Canucks are playing like this. We want the real hockey to start, yeah, no which kidding. it will in a couple of days. But, yeah, they did play the All-Star game in uh, Toronto. Team Hughes, which was packed with Canucks. Rick Tockett was the coach. Five Canucks on that team. Uh, they actually lost their game to Team Matthews, but lots of fun. Uh, we'll show you that. And Rick Tockett, maybe the highlight of the whole day, with on-bench interviews, actually called two goals in a two-minute span that his team scored. So we'll show you that. And uh, what else we got? Also, also we had almost had a 59 in the golf world today at uh, Pebble Beach, which I think there's only been nine ever in PGA Tour history. Adam Hadwin, who's in the tournament, has had one of them, but not quite, but we'll show you that as well. Okay, we'll catch up with you in a bit, thanks. After the break, the garage find that you just don't see every day. How did a massive military rocket end up at a house in the Seattle suburbs? That's coming up. Well, this is not something you see every day in the suburbs of Seattle. A missile found in a garage this week in Bellevue, Washington. The rocket is inert and doesn't have any fuel, but it is the same type once used to carry a 1.5 kiloton nuclear warhead. The bomb squad checked it out and decided it did not pose any danger of exploding. The military doesn't want it back, so the missile is being left with a neighbor who plans to restore it for a museum. Well, this Canadian winter has been warmer than usual, thanks to El Nino, but meteorologists are predicting that a La Nina event will be following soon, which could bring on more problems than just the cold. Naomi Barguiel has more. 
You put away your scarves and mittens this winter, make sure you have them handy next year. Meteorologists are predicting that a chilly La Nina event is on its way and could begin as soon as July. La Nina happens when sea temperatures are cooler than normal. El Nino is the opposite, causing the warm temperatures being felt in Canada since June. Oftentimes, these events affect more than just the weather, which is why global news meteorologist Ross Hall says they have to be under close observation. What happens when you see changes in the ocean temperatures above normal or below normal, that can have widespread impacts, what we call teleconnections, um, to other meteorological factors like jet streams and storm track and precipitation. Uh, even hurricane development. The events typically last between 9 to 12 months, but Hall says that time frame has been getting longer. The previous La Nina spanned nearly three years, and there were consequences. When you look at that period between 2020 and 2022, there was certainly a heightened amount of uh, Atlantic hurricane season activity. According to the Columbia Climate School's research, there is a 58% chance of a La Nina event beginning this year. Hall says Canadians in the West Coast, Ontario and Quebec can expect greater levels of precipitation. In terms of hurricanes, he says it's too early to tell how strong La Nina's signal will be. Naomi Bargyal, Global News. The NHL's top talent was out on the ice in Toronto today. It's All-Star Weekend and there's a very big Canucks contingent there. We'll see how Quinn Hughes and the guys did in today's All-Star game. Barry's here after the break. Okay, Barry made it back to the desk just in time for his segment. Was was that uh, about as exciting as the All-Star stuff today? There was a train. Or? There was a train in my way. Yeah. No, it, it, actually, the All-Star game was better this year. Certainly, the skills competition was better. It was so gimmicky, gimmicky last year in Florida. They had to fix it, and they did. And, uh, you know, they put a million bucks up for grabs. And so yeah. There was, yeah. Uh, there was some try there, but uh, you just hope no one gets hurt, and it didn't look like anyone mm -hmm. got injured. So they had a good time, but like I said, I'm glad it's over. <laughs> All right, no team had more representation uh, than the Canucks at All-Star Weekend in Toronto. Six players, if you uh, add the newest one, Elias Lindholm, who has got there as a Calgary Flame. Six players and Coach Rick Tockett. They are all on their way to Carolina now, where the team will practice tomorrow night in preparation for the game Tuesday versus the Hurricanes. But before they get back to the real business, there was All-Star business today, the three-on-three -three tournament in the big smoke. There are uh, the members of Team Hughes, along with Quinn. There's JT Miller, Thatcher Demko, Elias Pettersson, and Brock Besser. Elias Lindholm played on the Nathan McKinnon team. But Team Hughes watched the first game. Team McDavid faced off against Team McKinnon. McDavid team was down 3-1 in the final minute, but scored twice with the goalie pulled, David Pasternak. And then Pasternak sets up McDavid to tie it at three. So... We need a shootout, and it's David Pasternak against his teammate Jeremy Swayman. And uh, Pasternak's just a great sniper. Check out this cheeky little wrister. That's the game winner. So McDavid advances to the final, winning 4-3 in a shootout. Now time for Rick Tockett and Team Hughes, Michael Buble, the celebrity coach, and... Wayne Gretzky also helping out his good buddy uh, Rick Tuckett. So lots of star power on the bench. Second period, Team Hughes down a goal, but Frank Vitrano and Nikita Kucherov combined to set up Elias Pettersson, chips it over 
Igor Shosturkin, so it's three all. Then Quinn Hughes goes to work. A couple of great plays. First sets up Brady Kachuk, snaps it in. Tockett predicted Kachuk would score the next goal during a bench interview about a minute before. And then 30 seconds later, Hughes sets up Frank Vetrano. Tockett also called that one on a bench interview with Kevin BX. So they had lots of fun uh, on the bench. Tied 5-5 after regulation. They went to a shootout. Elias Pettersson, a chance to win. Now, Tockett said Pettersson would score next. They didn't, but he had a chance to kind of make it come true had he scored in the shootout, but he lost control. Meanwhile, Alex Debrinkit on Thatcher Demko, who played great. We didn't show any saves, but he gets scored there. That is Justin Bieber in uh, quite the ridiculous coat. <laughs> JT Miller has to score to keep it going, and when you... An announcer says that, you know he's not going to score. Shesterkin with the poke check, and that's it. Team Hughes is eliminated, so it's Team Matthews and the Bieber coat moving on against McDavid in the final. And uh, off the faceoff, that's a pretty quick play. Austin Matthews scores, goes in, and uh, that makes it 3-2, uh, but Team McDavid come right back as that goal is being announced. Leon Dreisaitl making it 3-all, so all the big guys starting to pitch in. But it was only fitting that Austin Matthews was the star of the show in his hometown, or in his, where he plays his hockey, obviously. He's from Phoenix, but he's the Maple Leafs, of course. Ripper one time, that was the game-winning goal. He was the MVP, 7-4 of the final. Matthews. Uh, and his team also a million bucks to split amongst themselves. League play resumes Monday. The Canucks, of course, are Tuesday at Carolina. Check out some ski cross World Cup from Italy. This is the women's final. Three of the four entrants, Canadians, including Marielle Thompson of Whistler, Brittany uh, Phelan of Quebec, and Hannah Schmidt of Ottawa. Uh, it was another great start for Thompson. Took the lead and uh, stayed out front the rest of the way. That's the way to do it in ski cross. Brittany Phelan uh, tried to catch her but uh, could not. Thompson wins back-to-back -back World Cup ski races for the first time in four years. And Chilliwack's Reese Howden also had a great day. We don't have highlights of the men's race, but he also won. Uh, and we should mention that Thompson, with that win, is now just three points out of the overall lead in the standings. So a great day for the Canadian ski crossers today in Italy. BC Lions have signed a two-time division all-star defensive back Marcus Sales to a new tier contract extension. Sales has suited up for 53 games over the last three seasons. A couple of key playoff interceptions for him. He's a good player. Still no new contract for Matthew Betts. CFL free agent market opens up February 13th, so still some time for the Lions to get last year's defensive player of the year in the CFL back in the den. Premier League, Aston Villa with the chance to jump into fourth place, visiting Last place, Sheffield United. This was one-way traffic. Ollie Watkins with the chipper over the keeper. A great effort by the defender to save it, but no one else there to help him out. John McGinn with an easy one. Five minutes later, this time Ollie Watkins will get the goal and uh, showing some quality there. Check that out. One touch and then rips it to the corner, and they were far from done. Leon Bailey with a uh, brilliant left footer here. Aston Villa pile it on. Five-nil the final as they hop over Spurs into fourth in the standings. And a uh, beautiful day at Pebble Beach for round three, and it was a record-setting day for defending uh, U.S. Open champ Wyndham Clark. You know it's a, going to be a good day when you knock in an eagle. You know it's a great day when you knock in two eagles on the front nine. And then on the ninth hole from long distance, Clark drains it, and he goes eight under par 28 on the front, tying the course record. 
He hit so many great shots today. Could have had five minutes of highlights of Wyndham Clark. This one out of the bunker at 14 to four feet. He would make that short birdie putt to get to 11 under. So 59 definitely in play. He reached the par 5 18th and two. So this is for a third eagle on the day and for a 59. Don't want to leave it short when you're shooting for a 59. He does, but oh well. 12 under 60, still a course record, leads the tournament at 17 under. A lot of Canadians playing. Adam Hadwin, 6 under. Adam Svensson, 5 under. Nick Taylor, who's won here before, is even. But they are expecting up to 3 inches of rain tomorrow, so they likely have to wait until Monday to finish things up. But uh, what a day for Wyndham Clark. And we should also say Canada beat Korea 3-1 in Davis Cup, so they are back in the Davis Cup group stage finals later this year. All right. Great stuff. Thanks, Barry. The Lunar New Year is next weekend, but festivities are already underway. We'll check out a Lunar New Year market out at UBC. Stay with us. An exciting day for a local artist with the launch of an art display two years in the making. Artist Donna Cito unveiled 18 pieces of her Reimagining Chinatown series at this gallery in the historic neighborhood. The art exhibition shows the history of Vancouver's Chinatown by displaying the different buildings that have existed in the area throughout the years. The art pieces will eventually be combined into a book, which will be available next year. Cito says it's critical to keep the history of Chinatown alive. Lunar New Year festivities are underway and the UBC Botanical Garden is celebrating all weekend with lots of food, local artisans and performances. Our community reporter Safia Pirani has more. The sights and sounds of celebration. The UBC Botanical Garden came alive on Saturday afternoon with its Lunar New Year Market, featuring more than 40 craft vendors, delicious snacks, and hands-on workshops. It's so nice to see just like so much different communities kind of come together to celebrate the Lunar New Year. For many of the Asian-owned businesses here, being able to showcase a part of their culture through their work has been the most meaningful part. I made these temporary tattoos with dragons on them. Um, they all symbolize a different type of luck. So this one is health luck, so you'll be healthy for the next year. Food brings people together, and that's what any sort of you know celebration is about. It's the time spent together, and food it just automatically attracts people. Market organizer Ariel Yu says they came up with the idea of the event last year, pointing to a growing, diverse population in the UBC area. People are here, uh, international students away from home, and being able to celebrate Lunar New Year so close on campus is really accessible for them. And the goal is to keep expanding the market across the botanical garden, so more people, including the young ones, can come and learn about Asian culture. How has it been so far today? It's been awesome. It's been a nice event for the family. Um, and exposing them to different cultures and um, different celebrations. and I, Yeah, it's fantastic. And give others the essence of being back home. Oh, this is my fiancé's grandma. <laughs> There's a big smile on her face. Yeah, a very big smile on her face. She was saying that it reminds her a lot of uh, things that she's kind of experienced in the past. Safia Pirani, Global News. Well, that's nice. I'm glad the weather held up. Mm -hmm. uh, year of the Dragon, correct? It is. I believe it is the Year of the Dragon. A lot of uh, dragon uh, Chinese restaurants. Yeah. These days. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Restaurants. I'm hungry. I saw the waffle <laughs> in that story. Now <laughs> I'm hungry. Let's go for it. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great night. Good night.